How's everybody doing? Yeah? Hey, I, I want to say a special welcome to the fellas at RCMU, and I, and I got some directions for you guys. Uh, you're in a place you don't want to be, but we have Christmas service for you this week, so you better be inviting people whether they want you to invite them. We're inviting people. Everyone needs to be inviting people, and I'm talking directly to you fellas at RCMU. Uh, if you're brand new to our church, we have multiple locations. One of them is at the Rapid City Minimum Unit. It's a local prison. And every single weekend we're there and, and we're all fountain springers just in different locations. And so if you're wondering, who's he talking to? Uh, that's who I am. They're in on this too. Uh, we're going to walk into uh, a sermon that I think is, is going to be helpful, but you're going to have to pay attention. But I want to start regarding some, some major issue that I have. Uh, it's, it's called snow. Now, now, I know some of you in South Dakota, like, hoot and holler, you're like, yeah, snow is awesome. There's others of us who, you know, I know we're living in South Dakota, and by default, it says, you know, shut up about the snow, you live in South Dakota. But, but here's what I don't particularly care for. It's, it's the, what happens to your vehicle. The, the whole thing where if you go outside after it snowed, and your windows are all frozen up, and you've got snow everywhere, and then what I believe, you know, I know sometimes people are against like torture and, and, and things like that, and I know the government does certain things, and all, that's a whole other sermon, uh, but, but I think a, a great form of, of torture would be to endlessly have to scrape the windows of your vehicle with no gloves on. I just think that'd be, a, now when I was in college, I wasn't always one of those folks who would just think through all of the problems of life. And so I would come out, I went to college in Indiana, and in Indiana, it, all winter long, your, your windows just freeze up. And so I would go out, typically the first month of that season, go out there and realize, oh, I don't have a scraper. Now, that's a problem. And if you're a college student, you really don't have the money to even go buy a scraper. And so I, I would do what anyone would do. You pull out your driver's license. And, or any of the credit cards that you stupidly got during the college years, and, and you would scrape your windows. Now, you wouldn't scrape the whole window, right? Just about a 12 by 12 box. Enough. Now, for those of you who are law enforcement, I'm not suggesting this. Don't worry. No, we ask, don't scrape your whole window. And then if you were really ambitious, you would, you would scrape a square off the back. And you're just like, I'm super safe now. Uh, now, I, some of you are looking at me like, it doesn't bother you to scrape your, your vehicle. Uh, I, I think you, you, I don't understand you in any way whatsoever. Uh, so so here's, here's what I want you to, to, to process. Uh, 
How much do you hate scraping your windows? Uh, just to help you, to help you, we got a video to help you understand what you look like while you scrape. Take a look. Those of you who are laughing, you're just mean. <laughs> if that happened to you, you're saying things that you're not supposed to say in church. And in fact, some of you are going, like, forget this day. I'm going back inside and calling in sick. I mean, that's, uh, I've thought about what, like, what would I have done? I probably would have turned my vehicle on, just turned it on and, and gone inside, like, yeah, warm yourself up and clean yourself off. Uh, I can't imagine, I really can, I can't imagine having that kind of an experience uh, where you literally scraped the wrong car. But, but I have a similar experience, I think you might too, where, where in life, you did focus on the wrong thing. You got done and had that, oops, I should have been giving my attention to this, but instead I was giving my attention to that. Every one of us, I mean, come on, this is church, you've got to fess up to that, uh, that you focused on the wrong thing. You, and, and you found out after the fact, not during the moment, after the fact, you realized like, it was one of those, I should have been giving my attention to something else. And when we talk about awkward family Christmas, this is a conversation we need to have. What if you're focusing on the wrong thing as a family? What if, just consider the idea that your focus, your agenda, what you spend your time doing as a family, what you celebrate, what, what you uh, correct, and, and what you teach, what you're intentional about, what, what, what if it's the wrong thing? And in fact, here's where this comes from. The number one question I've received during this series, the number one question is what should we focus on as a family? And in fact, I get asked that nearly after every service is, is David, will you, will you give us some tools regarding what to actually focus on? And now I know someone's like, so the, the preacher tells people, focus on God. And so we all leave, hey, family, we're supposed to focus on God. But many of us are like, we don't know what that looks like, but just nod your head at the pastor. But I want to give you some tools. So I'm hoping that when we're done today, You'll leave with a, oh, we're going to focus on this as a family. We know what to do and how to process it. But I want you to just think through what have you been processing as a family? What have you found valuable? Now, now, you might be like me where you're uncertain. I remember when Hayden, our first child, was born. Now, in the hospital, it was awesome. There were nurses that would come into the room and, and ask us what we needed. Even me would ask me, hey, do you need some ice water? Yes, I do. It's been pretty rough. Uh, oh, and my wife, she probably needs something too. And, 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 and I remember it was great that any time uh, Hayden would, would cry, the nurses would come like, would you like to, us to take him to the nursery? Yes, I would. That's amazing. And then there came the day that, that I didn't like. They're like, hey, you, you, you can go home now. I'm like, I don't want to. This is awesome. And like, no, your insurance company says you need to go home now. And so so we, we went home, and I'll never forget going down the elevator, going out to the car, buckling Hayden in. I drove about five miles an hour on the way home, just afraid that every bump would, would affect our, our newborn. And we got home, and we got him out. We went into the house, and, and it was time. 
to be a parent. And I was like, how do you do that? Now, now some of you, you've grown up and, and you've always dreamt and, and idolized the idea of, of being a parent. I mean, Katie grew up and scrapbooking and pictures out of magazines of what it's going to be like to be a mom and, and all that. And I'm going, I've never changed a diaper in, in my life. How do you do that? Uh, Katie, why don't, why don't you do that? And that doesn't work well in your marriage if, uh, if you try that. that. And, then, and then he would get hungry and like, uh, why is he screaming? So, so we would make sure he got fed. And then he would cry when he wasn't hungry. And if you're like me, who doesn't have any experience at the time with kids, I'm like talking to this newborn as though he can understand. Why are you crying, Hayden? And he would respond with screaming. And we weren't really connecting. I don't know if you ever had that experience. We weren't really connecting. And, and, and there'd be times, I don't, I don't know if you've ever uh, had this experience. He, he uh, didn't sleep through the night. Anyone? No? Oh, your kid slept through the night. That's sweet. Well, uh, I didn't know what to do. And in fact, and this, you may think this is insensitive, but after about two weeks of no sleep, of lots of crying where I'm like, what in the world's going on? I got mad. And so what I did, what I would do when I got mad, I called my parents and thought, I'm going to rant and rave my parents like, where's the stinking book to teach me how to be a parent? And I began to like tell them like, hey, I grew up and had toys and remote control cars and always told me how to take care of the battery and what to do. And like they let us, they shouldn't let us out of the hospital if we don't know what to do, and I was just ranting and raving, I have incredible parents who will listen to the ranting and, and listen to it just quietly and, and passively, just giving, waiting for their moment to, to speak. Finally, I shut up, and, and my dad on the phone just quietly said, David, you know how to be a parent. I'm like, no, I don't. I really don't. I promise I'm not lying. Not, I, I, it's like, I don't know how to be a parent. He's like, actually, actually, you do. Uh, you've seen it, and, and we believe God's taught you how to do it, and if and he got spiritual with me, which is good. He said, Jesus gave us incredible models, so if you just apply that, you're gonna be a great parent. I didn't like that conversation because Hayden was still crying. <laughs> now, now, here's what I wanna help us understand, though. I do believe that our families can be focused on the right things, uh, giving attention to the right things, and I do believe that Jesus taught us an incredible lesson on what to focus on. So if you're, you're a family and you care about your family, you're like, I want us to talk about the right things, focus on the right things. I want us to have the, the right goals. I want to give you tools for that. And so this will be one of those sermons that's a, a note-taking sermon. Uh, if you're like, I don't want to take notes, then all of this is on the app. <laughs> but I'm going to give you some tools that I think will be pivotal. If you want to have a family that focuses on what God wants you to focus on, so rather than just tell you to focus on God, let's go deeper than that. So Luke chapter six tells us some awesome things that Jesus taught us. So why do you keep calling me Lord, Lord, when you don't do what I say? I will show you what it's like when someone comes to me, listens to my teaching, and then follows it. It is like a person building a house who digs deep and lays the foundation on solid rock. When the floodwaters rise and break against the house, it stands firm because it was well-built. You want a well-built family. But anyone who hears and doesn't obey is like a person who builds a house without a foundation. When the floods sweep down against the house, it will collapse into a heap of ruins. So I, let me sum up what I just read you because you're like, construction talk, lost me, David. I don't know what you're talking about. Well, Jesus gave this instruction to us, telling us what 
to focus on. And if you apply it to your family, he simply said, and you've heard this before, but we'll walk it out. Jesus simply said, if you do what I teach, you will build a family on a strong foundation. He simply said, if you do what I teach. Now, most of us knew that. In fact, you don't even have to go to church to know that's what the pastor is going to teach you. Do what Jesus said. Here's where it breaks down. Many of us have no clue whatsoever what Jesus taught. In fact, I would call it a cultural trend for us to make up, maybe even to assign to God, oh, here's what God wants us to do. And we don't know actually if that's what God wants us to do. We might even say, hey, Jesus, Jesus was this kind of a person. He wants us to do that. But in this lesson that Jesus was teaching, you and I can learn what to focus on. Because frankly, some of us, well, we didn't grow up in families that uh, taught the great things to focus on. <laughs> so, so I put something together because this will help you. Some of us need this permission. If your family is dysfunctional, you don't have to carry on that tradition. Just giving you some freedom. Some of you, like, you grew up, you're like, David, my family was so dysfunctional. Like, we don't talk. We run from each other. It's horrible. I don't even want to tell you about it. So I want to give you permission for those of you who did not grow up in a family that you would say, I want to build off of what my mom or my dad or both of them built for us. If you, if you have no foundation laid for you, you need to hear this. Then don't carry on that tradition. I know we like tradition. I know we like values. And I know some of us said, I'll never do that. But you know what we naturally do is whatever was done to us. So I'm giving you permission. If your family was dysfunctional, don't. Please don't, please don't, please don't ever carry on that tradition whatsoever. You need a strategy. You need a strategy in which to walk out your family. Now, now I'm, I'm using my language. I understand this. My, my wife told me to prep you on this. So this is, this is straight from my wife. I, I, I'm a strategic thinker. If we ever have a problem or, or something going on in our life, uh, I think about what we should do. I create a strategy in my brain. It's really annoying to my family. Now, if Katie's like, hey, hey, uh, the, uh, one of our kids needs to be here, and the other needs to be here, and the other needs to be here. In my head, I'm all of a sudden put, okay, I know how to do that. I know exactly how to do that. We're, we're going to go here and do this, and you're going to do that, and we're going to meet together at this time and transition there. I've got this whole strategy in my head. It's annoying and boring, I know. But in my head, I'm constantly thinking about how to accomplish whatever needs to be accomplished. Hey, we need to clean the house real quick. I know exactly what to do. You do this, you do it. I'm just, I'm nerdy, okay? So let me tell you something. Whether you think strategy is boring or weird or nerdy, maybe you, maybe you love to do it. If you're not strategic about your family, your family will be dysfunctional. If you're unintentional, if you're just saying, hey, we sure hope the kids work out, we cross all of our fingers, and we hope it works. No, 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 no. Listen, listen, your kids, your spouse, your family, all of your relatives, the people around you that you call friends, they need you to be strategic, not manipulative, strategic, intentional, where you and I pay attention to what's going on and we give intention to it. To thrive, you need a plan. Now, some of you do have a plan, but it's broken. Your plan is this, is you're hoping that your kids uh, do certain things and achieve certain things. Now, I'm not saying achieving certain things is, is bad. Uh, thriving in sports and band and academics is awesome. And in fact, you should press your kids to do their very best. But I put this together. I think this helps us. We often focus on what we're doing rather than who we're becoming. 
And so as I'm about to unveil to you what I think is the singular thing that Jesus wants us to do as a family, before I tell you what this is, you you gotta grab a hold of something like this. What have you been focusing more on? What you're doing as a family? Oh, Christmas does this to us. (laughs) Who you're becoming. And so here's what I think Jesus taught us in this whole passage of scripture that I am teaching through. Here's what you need to do as a family is develop the who. Whatever you're doing, your conversations, your schedule, what you allow and don't allow, what you make preference and what you make conviction, all of that should be built upon developing the who. If you're a parent, the who in your kids is critical. If you're married, the who you married and who they're becoming is essential. If you're just a student and you're like, well, I don't really have a family that I'm influencing well, and you're like, I don't know what to do, even your friends, the people around, who they are is the most important. And so... If you want to live a strategic life, an intentional life, I would tell you to develop the who. Now, again, I'm not going to stop there. (laughs) I'm not just going to say, hey, as pastor, uh, you need to make sure your family's focused on God. And so focus on the who. What does that look like? I want to show this to you. If you were to jump up above what I've already read to you in the Bible, it tells us this. So let me show you more in Luke 6. What sorrow awaits you who are rich? For you have your own only happiness now. By the way, this will be depressing. What sorrow awaits you who are fat and prosperous now for a time of awful hunger awaits you. Yay. What sorrow awaits you who laugh now for your laughing will turn to mourning and sorrow. What sorrow awaits you who are praised by the crowds for their ancestors also praised false prophets. Okay, that sounds intense and like way to be a downer. If you see, some of us get caught up in the wording. We don't understand exactly. Is, is Jesus saying being happy is wrong? No, 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 no. Here's what he's saying in the best way I can summarize it. Eternity is more important, is greater than whatever is temporary. So as you study what Jesus teaches, who you are becoming is critical. So how you build that in your family, how you structure that, how you teach that, Eternity is far more important than the temporary. This conversation stinks during Christmas because a lot of us are focusing on thinking about whatever is temporary. And so I want you to consider something is how influenced are you by the here and now? I'm influenced greatly. In fact, uh, I like what I want when I want it right then and now. And I, I checked on a study. I think this is funny. And the Boston Globe did a study on you and me. Sorry, you've been studied. And, and this study on this is how long will you and I wait as we watch a video online? Now, I'm just curious, who's ever watched a, a video online? Anyone? Okay, some of you are not sure if you're allowed to admit that in church. You're like, what can I, what's he, what's he saying? Where is he? It's not bad. So here's, here's what they did is, is you and I, for the most part, have watched some sort of video online. They did a study on how long you're willing to wait for it to load. So you're like, how long am I willing to wait for it to load? I'll tell you how long you're willing to wait. Statistically, and they can gather this information very well because the internet gives these facts. So listen, uh, the average American is willing to wait two seconds. Aren't we a patient bunch? <laughs> uh, two seconds. One, two, all right, done. And, and statistically, and what they tell us is that if a video has any issue whatsoever, because that's all that can happen in about two seconds, is a small little glitch, what we're told is, is that we just abandon the website. We're done. See you later. We don't have time for this. Some of you remember dial-up, and you used to wait 15 minutes for a video. 
to load. Nowadays, two seconds. Two seconds. Also, if you don't know this, you can stream right now, go online to Netflix and Hulu and all this type of stuff, and you can watch whole seasons of TV shows on demand right then and there, and many of you will not watch it unless you can watch it on demand, because watching commercials, that's wasted time. You don't have time for that. You've only got five hours to watch straight three seasons. It's amazing how much the here and now affects us. In fact, I, you gotta confess that the here and now affects us more than we're willing to admit. If I polled every one of us, like how much does the here and now affect you? Oh no, I'm, David, I'm good, I'm patient, it's fine. I just said, no you don't. Most of us, we don't like slow drivers. The slow drivers don't like slow drivers. And we go around, we don't like waiting for what we don't wanna wait for. So that's why when I tell you like, okay, families, listen up. You wanna know what you're supposed to focus on according to Jesus? He says, focus on eternity, things that are eternal more than what's temporary. Now, now listen, what's temporary is not all bad, okay? I'm not telling you what's temporary is evil and of the devil and don't participate. No, 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 no. I'm just telling you eternity and eternal things are more important. So families, listen very closely. What do you focus more on? Eternal things or temporary things? What are you coaching into your kids, temporary or eternal? What gets the most amount of time, energy, lessons? And so I knew that I couldn't just unfold to you what we should just say, hey, make sure you focus on eternal stuff. Let me show you something. Whatever you give the most attention to, whatever you give the most attention, you also allow the most influence. So press that in, just for a second, press it in. Whatever you give the most attention, you allow the most influence. Very simple principle of life. What are you giving the most attention to? And as a family, as a dad, I'm gonna tell you, oh no, why did you bring that up? Whatever you give the most attention, you also allow the most influence. So what I wanna do is give you some tools. Now what I'm about to tell you is in the app, okay? So for those of you who are like, slow down, David, slow, no, no, no. It's in the app, or take a picture of the screen. So what does it look like to teach eternity things. Well, I made a list. It's very personal, by the way. If you are unaware, I teach this to my family. I'm trying to get this into my family. So here's a list of the things I'm coaching in, training in to my family to get real personal with you. So one, I'm gonna teach my kids and my spouse and frankly myself, uh, manage God's money. If you wanna know, because I get asked this all the time, what actually do I teach my kids about God? What is critical that when my kids leave, I sh I'm responsible to have taught them. I'm telling you what it is. Manage God's money. I wanna teach them to manage God's money. Wait, wait a minute, God's got money? Yep, it's yours. You think it's yours? It's not yours, it's God. The Bible unfolds this for us. And by the way, I'm not making this stuff up. It's in your Bible. Manage God's money. You're like, I thought the pastor just said that to get money from. No, no, really, it, it, it's deeper than that. Watch, carefully select friends. Oh, let me tell you something about this. Just reflect for those of you who are beyond your teenage years. Reflect at the friends that you had while you were a teenager. And if you're honest, you're going, oh no. Because uh, watch, carefully select friends. This is not just a good principle. This is not just something that's, oh, yay, neat. No, this is critical that you need to teach your kids from a very young age to carefully select your friends. It's in the Bible. You know why? Because the most influential people in your life are your friends. Now, let me walk this out even further. For those of you who think this is only relevant to kids, adults, listen up. <laughs> 
your friends still influence you. And so for those of you who are like, we don't have kids in the house or, or this doesn't mean anything, I'm an adult. No, it does. Choose your friends wisely. Select them well. Let's watch their words. We as a family are talking about watch the words, especially mom and dad, as the kids retain the words that you say as they grow older. Watch your words. We talk to our kids that, that you can give life from the words that you say to someone. Watch your words. Uh, do work. We've got a whole sermon on this. If you are able to work, you should work. Okay, we'll keep going. <laughs> Guard their minds. I'm trying to teach my kids and, and my wife and even myself to guard our minds. Can I just tell you something that I'm doing that I absolutely hate? I mean, I hate this, I despise this. In fact, I hate even telling you because then I'm gonna be even more accountable to it. I've tried to guard, I love going to the movies and I like going to the movies and I like frankly going to lots of movies where lots of people die. I know that sounds morbid and horrible, but I love it. Until I had to have a conversation with my oldest son who's in middle school. He's like, hey, can I go to the movies with you? And I was like, no, this is just a movie for dad. As I got into my truck and left to go to that movie, I was like, I'm a hypocrite. <laughs> so there's movies that my middle school son can't watch, but I can because of why. And so I'm gonna tell you something I hate. I don't go to movies anymore that my middle school son can't accompany me to. It's a rule I absolutely despise. <laughs> but I want my kids to know that dad's consistent. So, some of the rules you have, you're not going to like. <laughs> be generous. Then you're like, wait a minute, you already talked about money. Get over money. No, no, be generous isn't just about money. It's about your time. It's about your abilities. And I want my family to be readily available for other people who are in need to be generous. And then the last of my favorite, these are not in order. Fear God. I want to raise my family to fear God. If you're like, be afraid of God? No. To have reverence for the creator who made us. If you needed tools, you're like, what do I talk to my family? I just gave you years worth of content to begin to coach into yourself, to your spouse, to anyone around you, to just your friends. You've got now information to focus on. Let's move on. Second one, the last one. So how does more, Jesus teaches us more? Love is greater than fairness. Showing love is more important than being fair. Now, now, I know we're talking Christmas, so just stay with me for a little bit. Let me show you something in Luke again. This is chapter six. If someone slaps you on one cheek, offer the other cheek also. I hate reading that. Okay, we'll keep going. If someone demands your coat, offer your shirt also. Let's jump down a little bit further. If you love only those who love you, why should you get credit for that? Even sinners love those who love them. And if you do good only to those who do good to you, why should you get credit? Even sinners do that much. Love is greater than being fair. Now, here's, I have an older sibling, uh, a sister. Uh, I'm the favorite kid, just so everyone's clear. But I have an older sibling, Heather, and, and, and at Christmas, don't think that we were so holy and, and good-minded that we, we kept track of how many gifts we each got. 
I mean, we, we counted, we kept score. There was no scoreboard up in the house, as we, well, we thought there should be, but there wasn't. And so as Heather would, I could see him, and she's piling them around her, and I'm like, okay, there's 10, there's 11, I got one, two. And if, if we were off, oh, there was an argument. There was Christmas that year was horrible. If your sibling got more, isn't it interesting how you and I have a tendency to favor what is fair? We think that fair is, is the best. When Jesus said, hey, someone slaps you on one side of the cheek, turn the other cheek and say, here's another side. When, when Jesus said, hey, hey, they want your coat? Okay, here's my coat and here's my shirt. See, you and I have a tendency to, to give to people, to invest into people, and to think that everything should be fair and well used. Jesus did not model that kind of love. He did not say, hey, I will give this to you if you manage it well. No, he said, here you go. That's what you need. If you want to know what do I coach into my family, you want to pay attention to who they're becoming and who they're becoming hinges on. Do they view eternity as more important than the temporary? And do they view love as more necessary than what is fair? These are the two critical lessons that if you teach your family, it'll change your family. It'll put you guys on a good foundation. Let me give you an example of combining the two. My wife was helping prepare some food for a funeral that we were doing the church. She was in the kitchen and some other fountain springers were in there and they were all helping out together, doing a lot of great stuff. And one woman, her name is Mickey, and she was talking to Katie and in the kitchen while they were preparing food, there was also this six month old little baby. Now guys don't notice this as much, but they were all talking and ooing and aahing over this six month old baby. Uh, we're just all making typical sure is this baby crying? We good, we good. And, and they're all ooing and aahing saying how cute this baby is and they were talking through some things and Katie, my wife, said, hey, hey Mickey, uh, we, I, I need you to pray for something. She said, well, what do you want us to pray for? She goes, well, David and I are processing helping foster a child. Here's the story behind that. There was an inmate in, in South Dakota an inmate who is about to have a baby. And there's an organization called Safe Families. Safe Families helps make sure that, that babies or even children of, of all ages are cared for when the family can't care for them. It's not adoption. It's temporary fostering, taking care of this child while their parents can't. And Katie and I were praying through that there was a baby who was gonna be born in two weeks. We were praying through, should we be the ones that take this baby in for maybe three months and, and take care of this baby while mom finishes up her sentence? And so Katie told Mickey, hey, Mickey, uh, if you will help us, I mean, I don't know, pray, pray for this with us, um, that would be awesome. And she said, well, hey, if you're never, if you have a moment you can't take care of this baby, I'll be willing to help, you know, just for a day or two. And, and Katie said, well, hey, well, if we can't take care of this baby, maybe you Maybe you should start praying that maybe you're the family. Uh-oh. <laughs> so, Mickey and her family began to pray. God, do you want us to have a role with this baby who is soon to be born in a couple weeks? We were praying too, and we got one of those walls from God. It's one of those where like, I think it would be good if we were to do this. But it wasn't unfolding in a way that God gave us a piece about it, which was frustrating. But God was working on Mickey and her family. And in fact, we had a sermon series at one time called Love, Give, Go. And, and Mickey and her family were, were sitting in that service. And they had been processing and praying. They'd even gone so far as to go meet with safe families and learn about this 
this mother who was about to give birth. And, and then at this service their family was at, I began to talk about, we're going to launch another location at RCMU, Rapid City Minimum Unit. And she's like, he's talking about prison. Oh, no. Now, let me, let me give you the demographics of Mickey and her family. She's married. They have six kids. Three of them are teenage girls. We should be praying for them a lot. <laughs> Logistically and on paper, it made no earthly sense whatsoever for this family to be processing bringing another brand new baby into the house. But that's not what they were supposed to be processing. It was, God, what do you want us to do? And in fact, I would tell you, they want to have a family based on what's about eternity, not about what's temporary. And they wanted to make sure that love trumped what seemed fair and justified. And so God released us from this, helping this family out and brought in the Pazanka family to be a part of it. Now, now I, I got some of her words that I, I want to share with you because I think this is incredible. From the time we expected, or excuse me, from the time we accepted what God had planned for this baby and our family, it has been an amazing journey. We had total strangers donate almost every item we needed within 10 minutes of sharing our journey. We had fingerprints that should take three months to come in. They took two days. The miracles that have been showing up over and over and over have been absolutely incredible. God is huge, and he knows absolutely no boundaries. Baby Hayden is our family's miracle, and we have been blessed forever by her. Has it been hard? Yes. Worth it? Yes. I mean, that's when you take eternity as a family, and that's when you take love as a family, and you combine them and say, we're gonna show this. What they would also tell you, it's been one of the greatest things their family has ever experienced. Now, <laughs> I'm not telling everybody to go be foster parents, but I am telling you to coach this into your family. Let me read one last verse. It's in that same passage I've been reading you through. Luke 6, 38, give and you will receive. Your gift will return to you in full, pressed down, shaken together to make room for more running over and poured into your lap. The amount you give will determine the amount you get back. Sometimes we transfer this kind of conversation only into finances. What if we transferred it as families? Give and you will receive. What if as a family you decided that this upcoming year as tumultuous as it might seem and scary and stressful and uncertain. And what if you were to say, we're going to have a strategy. Eternity is going to be more important than what's temporary. Love is going to trump whatever's fair and we think is justified. We're just going to love. We're going to turn the other cheek. We're going to give when we can give as much as we can give to whomever we need to give to. You want to build a family on a strong foundation? Be that strategic. 